Welcome to another episode of Oops, I'm in a Cult. I'm Scott Barker. And I'm Charity Novelesi. And in this episode, we're going to talk about John Robert Stevens and all of his wackadoodle ideas. There's a lot of them, folks. Well, tell me the truth about John. How do I think about John? You know, was he a womanizer? You know, was he a liar? Was he a cheat? The Nephilim are endeavoring to make the invasion against the wall. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. That assassination took place as a direct after effect of his prophecy. Either a man is a man of God or he's not a man of God. I was projected seven years ahead of the present time. If you can picture time as a fabric that has holes in it, there are holes here and there, and then all of a sudden you just slip through one of those holes. This is a bomb, I'm telling you. It's literally a bomb. Here's our intro to the intro. Welcome to To Be a Charlatan. To be a charlatan. By John Robert Stevens. And suddenly we're going to be wearing different clothes. <laughs> Welcome to the whatever fucking podcast this is. You don't want to mention that it's the Living Word Cult? No, I think that's great, but is it just going to be called the Living Word Cult Podcast? No, no. Oh, what could it be? What could it be, Charity? You and I are both former members of Living Word Fellowship. We're investigating the, uh, the ins and outs of our experience. In and out podcast. <laughs> You can cut that part out. It's real casual. It guarantee is going to break down very quickly, which is <laughs> totally fine. It's, it's the Living Word Fellowship. It's the walk. Thought it was a church, turned out it was a cult. Oh, there's a good... That's it. That's what it is. That's it. I mean, I kind of love it. It's not bad. It's not bad. Oops, I'm in a cult. <laughs> Welcome, Charity. This is a special, special episode of uh, Oops, I'm in a Cult. Um... This is another one of our kind of giving an explanation of like what the living word is, background on it, some of the stories. And this one, we are specifically going to be diving into um, these stories about John Robert Stevens, his beliefs and the way that he used his beliefs to build the structure of the church or like kind of these things that we grew up hearing these stories like in the background Um, but this is the, this is like an actual exploration. We're going to go back. We're going to play the tapes back of these moments where he made these claims or where these events happened as far back as the sixties, um, and kind of dissect them and kind of get everybody up to speed and like hear these things, maybe for some of you for the first time ever, some of you for the first time since it happened, Um, And we'll have quotes from people who were there. We are digging, digging deep into the word here, (laughs) really into the archive. Um, If you're watching the video, you see we are in my archive room and um, there is all of the manuals and prints and that kind of stuff. So um, this is we are going to list off. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about three different key moments in John Robert Stevens, um, history in his, in his teachings. It's like the history of the walk, the history of the living word and John Robert Stevens, like big moments. And one of those we've all heard a lot about is the Nephilim death, death prayers, who he prayed, who he instructed people to pray, um, for their death. Then there's time travel. JRS's big, moment where he saw the kingdom because he traveled into the future. We're going to dissect that. And then we are going to get into his foundational teaching, his something he wrote. He claimed that he wrote it when he was 14 in 1933 or the, or the thirties. 
to be a Christian. Um, and this was a really big deal for the church. Long after he died, it was it was all in the propaganda and marketing of and the still church. Is. And still is. It's all over the website. Um, it's on John Robert Stevens. Uh, what is it? His legacy site. Yes. Um, it's it is a big, big, big deal. And so we're going to explore that. There have been claims of um, what do you call it? Plagiarism. Yeah. On that. And we're going to. We're going to check in on those claims. It's going to be very interesting. Um, very interesting ride for all of us. So we're going to get into that. I think what I want to underscore with this is that this is ongoing for me. I've been digging at this for a long time, and we've heard from a lot of people. We've asked them to share their stories. There are some of them out there on YouTube. Some even touch on it in our in the podcast. But even what we cover today, it is pretty detailed, but there's still more. And so plenty we want to hear about a lot of holes that need to be filled. Some things that we had to leave out because we haven't figured it out yet. We haven't gotten the details and we only want to put out what we can. So we'll note when it's something that like we want more information on. So with that being said, are we excited to get should Probably preface this with a trigger warning that you're going to have to listen to John Robert Stevens and Gary Hargraves yeah. shitty voices. So. Yes, there are there are lots of <laughs> clips being played in here. So trigger warning on that. Yeah. Um, Charity sat with me yesterday as we went through lots. I of- cried a couple of times. I was like, make it stop. <laughs> what have I gotten into? You really got to hear this stuff, man. <laughs> and some of this is for future episodes too. But there were some crazy things that we were yes. listening to yesterday. I mean, but- I don't know. Let me just like. Let me specify, I wasn't crying from being touched like in any by the Lord. It was more like, this is so awful to have to revisit. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we're doing. We are revisiting. We are taking a revisit. Um, doing some bonafide research. Bonafide. You gotta do it. Gotta do it. Yeah. We gotta, we've heard a lot of this stuff and we just want to, we want to know. We want to hear it for ourselves, see it for ourselves, put the pieces together. And so, um, yeah, with that, we're starting with one of the, one of the fun ones that I think a lot of people, you know, hear about up front um, is the Nephilim death prayers. Um, the the claim and the things that we've heard from other people is that um, John Robert Stevens had proclaimed and prayed for and instructed the congregation to pray for the death of prominent figures such as JFK and the Kennedy family. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, a lot of people are saying that he took claim for the Kennedy curse. That's the way I heard it is that the Kennedys had that curse and it was John Robert Stevens that did it. Yeah. Um, the Rockefellers, Jimmy Carter, other other prominent figures. I even think I've heard John Lennon, that kind of stuff. You're kidding. Yeah. I mean, which is such a great tie in to <laughs> one of the Beatles was a Nephilim. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, well, John Lennon was the Yoko Ono and all that oh, stuff. Right. Sorry, that's yeah, an aside. That's like, a whole yeah. other thing. Stay with, tuned. Uh, stay tuned. So, <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to play clips um, to all that stuff. I think first what we're going to do is we're going to read from this. What is this here? This is a the this story, week. It's the this week volume uh, 12, number 36. The mm-hmm. story of the Nephilim. Such cute graphics. Yeah. What year? What year is that from? This is from... Where is it from? 1981. 1981. Okay, this sounds like it was kind of a late publication. All right, so this is John Robert Stevens talking about what a Nephilim means, what it is. 
So this is him saying, we're going to learn what the Nephilim are. Nephilim means fallen. So we have to understand that there's something of the downward pressure in a Nephilim. The Nephilim of the Old Testament were the closest approach to sons that Satan has had. Mm-hmm. Then he goes on to say, when we read about it, we'll discover one thing. These Nephilim are in are an input into the human race so that they have in their generation something that is satanic, just as you have something that is holy of Christ in you. See, when I hear that, what that means to me and the way that it was kind of described to me coming up too is that like it's an input into it, something almost Mm -hmm. like genetic. It's almost like it's, and I know that there's like the spiritual influence is what Mm -hmm. the Nephilim, but I hear that and and other times I've heard about it, it's almost like it's like passed on the generation in their generation you know yeah so there's it's deep it's deep in there but you can also just be taken over you by you can a also just be taken over it's very film. confusing yeah, it's we're gonna go find either out. way you're like you, congenital nephilism or you just like <laughs> catch it from someone else it's coming it's coming at any way it can get in yeah. i made up nephilism do you like that nephilism like, yeah yeah <laughs> Um, Okay, so then he continues on to say, are you aware how much we're coming right into days of wickedness, just as in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Noah? Those days are coming again. And of course, that includes the Nephilim. What did these Nephilim do? They were men of renown. They were the giants. They were the famous people of the earth at that time. The famous people of the The earth. The Rockefellers, the Kennedys, the... Mm -hmm. The Queen, the Getty, the Rothschild. (laughs) Totally different. Uh, Yes. So that, what do we have one more on there? There's one more. And yeah. I, I just wanted to read this one because mm-hmm. it's like the, the first thing that the workers of Satan do is make themselves more religious than God himself or than the servants of God do. They appear transformed into ministers of righteousness. Satan is transformed as an angel of light. And that transformation makes possible the transference. The most subtle witchcraft doesn't come from a witch on a broom. It comes from one who looks very much like an apostle or a prophet. Uh, John Stevens, maybe, <laughs> or a handmaiden of the Lord. You see, Satan comes and makes Jesus Christ look like a glutton and a winebibber. And these that come as servants of righteousness will go through the community and say, oh, these weak ones sinned. They are the stumbling block. And yet they are the hypocrites who have been stumbling people with their hypocrisy. Sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook to me. It does sound like gobbledygook. But what he's saying is it's subtle. Is yeah. like only the spiritually tuned can right. pick out a Nephilim. Mm-hmm. So he can say why these people, these men of renown, the, the big ones are Nephilim. Nephilim. But he's also saying in there that these people can come into the churches. They can come in yeah. through religion and they can even come amongst us. But let's let's play a little bit. We have one little clip here of just somebody from the time. This is from, uh, this is from, a 1980 documentary entitled Vainglory. This is somebody that was a part of the walk. It's an unnamed person, but it gives you an example of um, what the services were like and what the death prayers were like and how this kind of came about. Night, Stevens got up and proclaimed and prophesied that something to the effect that, that the Kennedy dynasty would no longer have control over this nation and that it was later that night that Robert Kennedy was assassinated. And so he was saying that that, that assassination took, took place as a direct after effect of his prophecy and, and not foreseeing or predicting that it was going to happen, but that he spoke and that God brought it into existence because they had declared it. Bizarre. Yeah. So it's not him predicting, like she says, it's it's very clear his words caused the death. Yeah. 
He's claiming that. He's claiming that. And he, he was saying it from that, from that pulpit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we're going to um, hear a little bit about him explaining what a Nephilim is from his, his own voice and how, how they enter into the, the world. John Robert Stevens. They were a product of what we would call sons of Satan today. Now, the Nephilim are endeavoring to make the invasion against the walk and to position themselves into the church so that God will see the corruption of it and turn away from us, say, to, to, to destroy us. Now, that's not going to be. That's why we're, we're vigorously opposing the Nephilim spirit. Okay, so that's also, it's not just something far out there. It's not Kennedy's, just them out there. It's the walk. They could be anywhere. They can be anywhere, and they're coming against us. Mm-hmm. Persecution. Persecution. <laughs> Retaliation. Retaliation from the Nephilim. Um, let's talk about how John dealt with that. So he's that was from a prophet's meeting, just to give you a little bit of clarification. That was from a 1976 March 7th prophet's meeting. This is from a conversation that we had with Charity's mom. Um, and it's on YouTube. You can find the full conversation. But we wanted to play this little bit because... She remembers being a part of those death prayers. Yes, she was a part of those death prayers. Here we go. We were a special elite group that would intercede for John, not only give him uh, money, but pray for him like these. As part of the business? Yes. So at breaks and stuff, you'd take breaks and everybody would pray together Uh for John, especially when he was going through his divorce from his first wife. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, and we were told that. to, she was an Aflam channel. We prayed for her death. Mm-hmm. Directed by John Stevens to Direct, pray yeah. for and her And you remember praying for her death oh, yeah. while at work. Yeah. And at church. <laughs> During, and at church. Yeah. Wow. What was the prayer? Oh. I mean, don't, you can say it. It won't. Oh. We saged well, okay. it. So, so. <laughs> we, we bring down the Nephilim channel. That would be like that term terminology. We bring down, we curse that. We, we're basically cursing that yeah. person. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. So they, So now it's not just these abstract people, these celebrities, the men of renown. It's his wife. It's his wife. <laughs> how convenient. She, how convenient. She was a Nephilim channel. You know, it's like one thing, like you hear that trope all the time. It's like, oh man, I really hate my wife. You know, it's like this like like bullshit thing about like, why are you in a marriage, you know? But this man took it to another level. (laughs) He's asking his followers to pray for the death of his wife. Like he's married to this woman and he's like asking them like, please go and, and pray for her. Now, I think there's a little bit like floating around here. We're hearing everybody, they're saying they're praying for the death, but... You know, I think there's a little bit of argument that can that some people might try and make where it's like, oh, no, no, no they're going after the Nephilim spirit. That's the death that we're going for. The, the spirit is the thing. That's the problem. Nope. And that might be the case. However, however, <laughs> let me make sure I get this a few seconds. That might be the case. But this is from that same prophets meeting. John explains in 1969. 1967. That was Gary. That we have a pu- he has a publication of it. He has a memory that disturbs me sometimes. It disturbs me too. But uh, maybe some of you can remember when a principality, a nephilim, Ahiman, who was reputed to be the son of Lucifer, was named and identified in a an intensive prayer that came. It was not too long after that that the lid was really ripped. Uh, lifted off of a real satanic activity 
that was coming through a Nephilim spirit there in the valley. Some of you can remember, maybe most of you have come in since that time, that in our prayers and believing God for judgment, that this individual was stricken with a heart attack and was in intensive care for six weeks. And I think that the victory was incomplete because she recovered. And it should have been, it should have been death because her dedication to Satan was unrelenting. So he's saying it was a failure because she didn't die. Right. So the prayers were a failure. They were a failure because she should have died. Her dedication to Satan was unrelenting and she should have died. It wasn't a victory. So this, it's very clear, I think, in that statement is that like when these death prayers meant death, they meant death. They meant death. It wasn't an abstract. It, it was like an, literal death. Literal yeah. death for the person who was, who's connection to Satan was unrelenting. And this is according to John Robert Stevens, of course. Mm -hmm. So he wanted true death from there. I also think we don't have this, I think I, we want to do more research onto this, but I, there is this huge event that happened in the sixties, which we are going to touch on in this next little bit. Um, and I think he's referring to that um, in, in there. And so that's something that I want to hear the more split, about and the church, the, split. the church mm -hmm. split, which is, which is what this next document talks about. Um, but we're going to focus on the why and the connection to Martha, his wife, John Stevens, sister Stevens, as she was referred to, um, first wife, his first wife, Martha, and why he was asking people to pray for her death. So, I'm going to jump into this comes from a document, one of the um, in my in my research, one of the most expansive analytical academic explorations of John Stevens and his belief, his beliefs. It's the it's the as far as I can find, it's the best like piece that has like all of the stuff that like looks at it from different angles. It is um, Woodrow Nichols. Um, Woodrow Nichols paper, I guess is what you call it, of uh, The Walk and John Robert Stevens, published by the Spiritual Counterfeit Project. And you t had said that he, Woodrow Nichols, kind of was an undercover church member? Is that yeah, what the deal he, was? Yeah, he says a lot of his, a lot of the segments from this, he went to a lot of services kind of undercover and when you read this, he's he's describing things that he's seen he's there seen, as well. And he as had conversations with leadership. Yes, and, he had yeah. conversations with leadership. I've looked up the sources. He cites all of his sources and all of this stuff. I've looked it up in what I can from the record, um, from the Living Word, and verified a lot of it. Found audio clips because of this work, um, but then there's a lot of uh, transcripts from interviews and. Um, private tapes and things that he quotes in here that I have reached out to the spiritual counter spiritual spiritual spir counterfeit <laughs> spiritual counterfeit um, project and they do not have that stuff anymore. So the only place we can get this information is from his document right now. Um, so what we wanted, what we're looking in here is a little section where this is Woodrow Nichols talking about the problem of Martha and the split of 1967. So he says here. The vision that John Robert had of Martha in a coffin and his subsequent interpretation was the culmination of a problem he was going through with his wife. In the early 60s, Martha had undergone the traditional middle age crisis that all women sooner or later have to go through. <laughs> it seems so insulting. And it seems the result of a conversation with a group of elders on 8 September 1965. 
that John Robert wasn't handling the situ- situation very sensitively. In fact, he told Earl Leisure, the elder at the Valley Church, that he was married to the devil and that his marriage had become hell on earth. The idea that Stevens was not coping with his wife's new phase is corroborated by what he was telling his intercessors during that time uh, with him at his office. He expressed his view to them that he thought the people should be allowed to have several marriages depending on their age. He had unfortunately married when he was too young and had married a woman two years his senior. Now that she had become more cold, her sexual drive waning, there was nothing else for him to do but to seek out some other alternatives. Okay. That's one way to put it. So <laughs> many alternative. There's a lot going on in there. There's this, there's the perspective of Woodrow Nichols with the like, you know, women becoming cold and whatever during their time. Um, but then there's also a lot of like what he's saying to these intercessors. Now the intercessors were the special elite group that, um, that prayed, Sandy was talking about. Yeah. That prayed for John, that prayed and- for John, prayed for the deaths, did these like special, interceding is what it was, is what it was called. Mm -hmm. So he's saying that they had had conversations and he had trying to put out this idea that like, well, we should get married because especially at the time in the sixties, it was not, that wasn't it. Yeah. Divorce wasn't a thing. Especially for a church leader. Right. Right. Yeah. So he's, he's putting that out there that like, this is a, this is a possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, Leisure got wind of this. This is the pastor. And he says, um, Leisure and a group of three elders came to Stevens concerning various unscriptural practices fostered within the confines of the Church of the Living Word. That's the Valley Church. And he's referring to these death prayers like. Yes. And he says here in his letter, he says, should intercessors pray for the death of fellow members within the church? Why was Sister Stevens, Martha, chosen for this prayer? I'll tell you why. (laughs) That's what we're going to find out. So um, then Leisure went on, uh, goes on. He says he did not immediately suspect Stevens of adultery, but he believed that it was only the only scriptural thing to do was to bring everything out into the open so that it could be put to rest once and for all in the minds of the people. He's he's seeing that this weird stuff is happening Mm -hmm. and he's not like coming up and being like, John, you're an asshole and like any of that stuff. He's like trying to use the channels of the church and do things in like a scriptural biblical way or whatever. Right. And whether he succeeded at that or not, he's trying to be yeah. his, his version of integrity, which is really great. What ultimately happens is they keep pushing. We're going to skip over a huge chunk of her church history in this yeah. split of 67, because it's not the focus of what we're trying to do here, but it basically, it causes they keep pressuring John, let's deal with this the right way, deal with this the right way. And John knocks him back mm-hmm. and keeps like saying all this stuff. And there's all these crazy things that he's he deflecting, he cleans, he's deflecting in so many different ways. And ultimately what happens is, um, is a, is a big split within the church that causes a bunch of drama. Eventually in the seventies, Martha files for divorce and in her filing, she says the following that is very interesting about this time, which would be late 60s. Okay, so Martha says, during the mid and late 60s, when the church was in in an expansive growth period, I discovered that my husband was having a sexual ongoing affair with one of the parishioners' wives. As well as I can determine, this sexual ongoing affair lasted nearly five years. It became so obvious to the congregation that problems began to arise within the church, which I'm guessing led to the split. Yeah. And ultimately... 
Yes. Here she says it. A split in the congregation occurred over the issue of my husband's infidelity to me. It should be understood that I, at the time of this affair, was totally and completely involved in my husband and his ministry. Knowing that this affair was having a derogatory effect on the church, I confronted him with it. His reaction was uncharacteristically violent. He grabbed my shoulders, threw me against the wall, and slammed my head against it several times. He then slapped me full force across the face, causing my nose to bleed. He later expressed deep sorrow and regret for his violence and with a fear of him and a desire not to destroy him in his church I decided not to pursue the matter of or dissolve my marriage I began to feel that my husband was concerned about my position in the church and that he wanted to have me to have as little public exposure as possible in order not to diminish his position finally the situation worsened to the point that I was almost totally shut out from the church organization Mm -hmm. again a lot in there but To me, one of the things that really is striking is the violence, the physical violence Mm -hmm. after and during and around like he's also praying for her death and he means it. Right. This is he's not like I said earlier, he's not speaking in the abstract. He's exactly physically violent against her. So why Mm -hmm. wouldn't he mean that? Like he actually hopes that she'll just die. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't want to do it by his hand, but it seems like he almost does. So he asks for God's help and the help of his of his it's followers. So, so Christian. <laughs> it's so very, so very terrible. Um, this is where we're ending this little bit on the Nephilim, because I think what it just shows is how John is using the power of his church, using his position as a man of God to ask for the death of his wife because he doesn't want to get a divorce Mm -hmm. and have that stain, I suppose. He's using his position. He's exploiting his position. Exploiting it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is not, as we're going to see, this is not the only time he's going to do this. And this, this idea of using the myth and the lore and the belief system and the passion of his followers to justify his infidelity right and little and life choices personal choices is like this is this is what they do this is what he did this is what continues to be done in the living word right we even see it ripple out in the rick and all of these things later in later times but yeah um that's how they they start they spun then all of you know affairs with whether it was Gary Marilyn or whether it was Rick and his multiple affairs, the the spin was that, well, the ministry, it's the minute, like the gift, like you always mentioned, the gift and the calling is without repentance. Which it all is started, next, uh, which is, we're going to get into that. Yeah. That was, um, that was the excuse that they used to further their agenda. Like whatever yeah. they, whatever they wanted to do, they, they could, could make it right. They could exactly. justify it. They could justify it. And they you can see that the, the effort that goes into it too. Yeah. It's just a, a mind boggling. It's like, just get a divorce, dude. Mm-hmm. Like all of this, the split of the Valley church, the, the Nephilim, the freaking like all like praying for her death, people all over this place, just to like, just, just get a divorce. Be like, listen, I don't want to do it. He's like, you listen, know? I, I want to fuck someone else. And like, so don't make me call you Satan. I don't think that. I, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think the hippie kids would have cared. No. You know? I think, well, I mean, like one, one aspect, you could look at this and be like, they actually love this kind of crap and ate it up. So maybe, you know, it all fits together in a beautiful way. Times are changing. 
we're we're from we're we're going from the 60s into the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Star Trek is popular. Sci-fi. Sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, Star Wars is right around the corner. John is like in perfect uh, in perfect step. Yeah. So with one, his time travel. <laughs> exactly with time travel. So this one day, John Robert Stevens shows up at a Thursday night service, um, and he blows everybody's mind. Yeah. So we're we're gonna like just dive right into this. This is 1972, December 14th. Thursday in Southgate, a restricted tape, um, the new step to the day of revelation. I bring you greetings before we get into the message that came in Southgate at Grace Chapel on December the 14th, 1972. This message is a very restricted message, and I must explain it to you. During this week that preceded this Thursday, I had had a real meeting with the Lord. During this meeting, I was projected seven years ahead of the present time. It was such a total thing that it almost blew my mind. I could not even remember many of the things, such as phone numbers, addresses, and so forth, and I spent the better part of Wednesday of of that week wandering in almost a fog. But I was able to clearly remember back the events of what will be the next seven years. So he's he's giving you a preference of like before the service and he's just saying like I went to the future. Yeah. He projected seven years into the future. Projected seven years in the future. And I just his voice in that whole thing is just I bring you greetings. I bring you greetings from you know, planet. It just it really like, <laughs> it's very sci fi. Yeah, it's got a very sci fi like little tinge to it. Okay, so this next bit, this is the start of the service. And this is the real claim. This is where the first time he mentions this publicly. This is like the thing that starts this whole time travel kingdom stuff. I had an experience uh, just suddenly. I I lost almost all of Wednesday. Just blanked out. Or not really blanked out. I can piece in and out, in and out. What happened is that I I was just waiting on the Lord and there was no sudden movement, uh, no experience, no speaking in tongues, no prophecy, no vision, but I suddenly couldn't even remember what day it was. I couldn't remember my phone number to go home. I knew I was living in 1979. Now this sounds weird. And I was remembering things that happened in the seven years that are to come. And, and it became a very strange experience and something that was limited in what I knew. I didn't know everything that had happened, but I knew enough things that God did one thing for me that I, I, I'm just really grateful for. I can see from what's coming what's important for us to do now Amen. and what's going to be absolutely pointless and worthless to do for the next seven years. And in seven years, uh, I'm not date setting, but I was looking back from the kingdom. Okay. Not date setting, but it's seven years from yes. 1972. So yeah. we're doing the yeah. I am date setting. Yeah, I love that. Like, <laughs> I'm not date setting, but the kingdom's going to be here in seven years. Yeah. And uh, I, there's a there's a key part in there, too, that he says what he was saying. Basically, just to kind of sum up, he's like he found himself kind of disoriented, but he knew that he was in 1979 because he could remember everything that had happened over the past seven years, everything that was important 
that they should be doing. And then also he knew everything that would be absolutely a waste of time that they shouldn't be doing. Shouldn't bother. And we'll hear the kingdom was coming. So drop drop out of school. No one cares. (laughs) That's right. Um, yeah, so that's that's like that's that claim there that uh, he makes, and what's what's part of the part of the living word culture when the man of God brings a word from God is it then needs to be confirmed by the brothers, and there's a so after this there was an immediate flurry of confirmation from the brothers prophesying and coming up and agreeing with him. They just heard probably the most wild claim by John Robert Stevens to date. And they are immediately up there to back them up. They're just eating it up. Eating it up. So here we go. That there was something that would come upon you. There's such a demand upon your time, such a pressure all the time. Never have enough time, you know, to do anything. That there are, it was like this, that there are leaks in time. If you can picture time as a fabric that has holes in it. There are holes here and there. And then all of a sudden, you just slip through one of those holes, you see. And then all the time you need to do something or to learn something would take place. Even, you know, future, past, whatever. But there are these holes. And now we've heard of it in science fiction and things. You just slipped through one of those holes, Scott. Uh, apparently, John was slipping through a lot of holes. <laughs> he slipped through the wormhole to slip through her hole. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, well it's very, it's very good that he used uh, that he used that uh, that metaphor. Yeah. But aside from the obvious entendre that's in there, he uh, he is like taking this to a whole sci-fi level and bringing science into it. He's like, wormholes are the way that you travel through time, and it just happens, you know? It's just slipping and sliding around in this fabric of space. And this will make sense in a few minutes why we're making all these, like, innuendos about slippage into holes. Exactly. (laughs) But basically what this guy's doing with his, like, sci-fi talk is how he's he's just confirming what John's claim was, that, like, oh, yeah, this is possible. It's backed up by science. You know, even sci-fi has talked about it, and, like, that's what happened to you, and, like, you need... You or your time is so precious, John. You're so precious. So like now you're going to be slipping in and out of wormholes. You can travel through time any yeah. old time you want. Uh, okay. Let's talk a little bit about what John John then says here afterwards. After they go on and they talk about this and what it means for them. And John goes on to pitch about how like he was able to see in the future how the walk was going to be set up and like right there in the kingdom. They were the, the kingdom center. was going to be there, yeah. yeah and exactly. the walk was, yeah, the center of it all. The center of it all. That we're, we are heading for some fantastic days. We really are. And the limitations that we've had in this walk, we're not going to have in the future. We're not going to have them. Especially the, the financial limitations. We're not going to have them. God's going to turn loose the, all the resources necessary for the little flock, the little flock to do the job. Praise the Lord. We're going to do it in the name Amen. of the Lord. We're, uh, we keep losing that mine in Nevada, but we ought to be dedicated to what it's going to mean. Uh, it's really moving along so rapidly now that it's frightening. I can't tell you how well things are going. Post note, yeah. things did not go well with the mine. <laughs> the mine. <laughs> the silver mine did not work out. That's something we will cover in another time, but it's a, it was a whole push at this time to like create a silver and gold mine so they could get minerals from the earth and fund the, the Finance, whole finances of John the Stevens ministry yes. and, and kingdom. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of push for the financing, the kingdom and John Stevens ultimately is what we wanted that money for. But I, I find it interesting because he's saying after he just got back from the future, how great this mine mm-hmm. is going to be and how good it is. And he even says in his first claim, he says, I saw the things that are going to be good for the walk. And I saw the things that would be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. 
then why did you keep investing and yeah. asking for people's money to invest in the silver mines? It was all that bullshit. was obviously a failure. It's like he's really good at laying groundwork for future manipulation. Just mm-hmm. like with his prefacing about his well, my my wife is like the devil, and I had a vision of her in a coffin, and then like oh, nice segue into uh, I, uh, you know, she's a Nephilim channel, so let's get rid of her so that I can go be with this other yeah. person or whoever, multiple people. Yeah, you're right. Like it's really it's really impressive his um his ability to like. His foresight? His foresight into, like, he's just able to, like, take this opportunity of, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, we're going to have a bunch of money. And, like, so you guys need to donate to, like, all of my my silver mine crap. And, like, Mm -hmm. how it's just, like, it it almost feels like he's just making this stuff up as he's going. It's a long con. It's it's so good. It's It's a long con. It works. People are eating it up. That's what Woodrow Wilson says in his summation of this. He says, in one quick week, John Robert had pulled off the biggest coup in his history. He not only gave the kids the kind of in time mystical experience that they craved, but he also guaranteed that he would keep most of them around for the next seven years. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic. It gives them this push. So then we spoke to um, a former APCO member. A uh, former, a former, member, of former member of the Apostolic Company. Apostolic Company. Just to remind everyone that the Apostolic Company was like the central leadership of the fellowship. Yes. They were like the elite, the more prominent leaders. Right. Do you want me to read this? Go ahead. Yeah, right from the myth. So this is reading directly from this person's mm-hmm. uh, communication with us. The myth of the seven years into the future vision does need to come to light. It became the basis of everything that took place in the churches from 1972 to 1979. Storing wheat and other foods for survival, the building of Shiloh, the kingdom businesses, and the total cutting off of everyone from colleges, careers, or in many cases, even relationships. Yes. So it was this huge push. Yeah. It became like the whole push up until up until his death, really. I mean, 1979 was the kingdom that was the the target for the kingdom, John died in 83, which is just a few years later, but there's all this guilt and stuff that came along with it for the congregation that they weren't pushing hard enough. Mm -hmm. And it was really up to them to bring that kingdom. So as the 1979 date came and went, it was the failure of the congregation, not the failure of John's vision right. that caused all that. Not. And then he died, so who cares? But <laughs> <laughs> That's the way we really failed, except, right? Except what comes next, right. which is a fascinating account from this same member of the leadership, the Apostolic Company. Um, this is in Brazil, 1993. The leaders, the new leaders of the church that took over after John, Gary and Marilyn, called a meeting with the prominent leadership into like this secret, secret meeting room. Do you want to read it? Sure. Um, So this is a quote from our our uh, our source. Our source. (laughs) So he says, Gary and Marilyn made everyone in the room swear to forever keep it secret under penalty of eternal destruction, more or less, because it had the ability to tear apart the churches. They said they would they would be the ones handling the situation from here on out. That might explain why it stayed under wraps as long as it did. At about the same time Rick was admitting to another affair, Gary and Marilyn told in Brazil that told us in Brazil that a woman told them that on the day JRS allegedly had his vision of being projected seven years into the kingdom, December 12, 1972, he was with her all that day. Marilyn was furious because she said, I always thought there was something fishy about that day. Yeah. So he's, so what's happening here is just to kind of 
lay it is like this meeting happens. Marilyn comes in. She's like, listen, I got to tell you guys something, which is weird. It's really random. It's really weird that she would even like want to tell them this. But maybe it's like a way of like. I don't know. Well, we I think sp- that they just found out. Like, I think this woman had just told them and they're like, we got to get ahead of this before maybe she starts talking to people mm-hmm. and this gets out. Like, we got to spin this ahead of time. We got to tell our most loyal that like, yeah, it sounds like. So it, it's it's just weird to me that like Marilyn is like admitting basically like, oh, yeah, John. Yeah, that maybe this was BS because he was actually just with this woman mm-hmm. this day. Because we remember, see, we see how they spin it later, though, which we'll which get into. We'll get which into. If this is just la- this is again like laying yeah. groundwork for future manipulation. Exactly. But if you remember at the very beginning of John's um, claim when he starts saying, you know, I was transported in the he's first he's saying I found myself on Wednesday confused and lost Sounds and like I didn't he was know blackout where I was. drunk to me like, <laughs> exactly it's like <laughs> the, when you it's almost like if you listen back to the tape like you listen back to that claim he's like starting the whole thing and it's like he's making it up as he's going along because mm-hmm. he first says i don't know where i was i don't know what was going on i was just missing i was missing this day yeah. i was in a fog i was in this i was just like yeah it sounds like he was on a bender <laughs> or something <laughs> just tripping balls <laughs> yeah okay so our our source goes on to say Oh, let's Looking see. Back. Looking back, it was an elaborate cover story for the fact that he'd gone missing for a whole day and Marilyn never let him out of her sight for a whole day. The fact that everyone just accepted it at face value shows how gullible we were as a movement. Most of the kids were under 20 and were used to JRS speaking the word of God. The fact that he persisted in retelling the vision and expanding on it for 11 years until his death was a pretty big violation in my book. And worse for me was the fact that even after knowing what they knew, Gary continued to preach about John's vision into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So they have this backroom meeting. They tell the prominent leadership that oh, this was bullshit, actually, mm-hmm. according to this woman. And Marilyn believes her because she's upset. She yeah. believes this woman's account because she says that there was always something fishy about that day. Right. And yet they still they choose s- to use that whole kingdom vision that John had yeah. and, and preach about it. Th- there's also these contradictions that we'll see mm-hmm. coming in a second. But let's finish his uh, his thoughts on this. I do remember that there was no discussion after the announcement. It was just, here it is, we're handling it. And I remember being stunned and then thinking later, hey, wait, if she was with him all that day, does that mean he still had the vision and she was with him? Or does it mean that he didn't have the vision and that was his cover story? We were not allowed to ask about it. Yep. Typical. That was it. It was just this thing, this little thing, and then that was the end of it. Except um, around that same time, Gary brought a word in Brazil that was titled JRS Sinner Saint, but he brought one I feel like that's even more revealing when he got back to the States called The Truth About John. It was a 1993 tape. Uh, let me get you the information. In uh, yeah, 1993, January 31st, Sunday, Sepulveda, California, The Truth About John. Here is Gary on this and get ready. <laughs> Strap in. It's a fun ride. <laughs> this is a bomb, I'm telling you. It's literally a bomb. Literally. Um, see, we go back to this other message, JRS, sinner or saint. And this is, this is a classic because... Classic. See, you, with carnal thinking, you, you have to either make John into a saint, which I think this group tends to do, or you have to make John into a sinner, which... 
others who don't like John tend to do. And I'm telling you, everybody's wrong. Both sides are wrong. And, and this is why it's a deliverance, because your thinking about John is wrong. Your thinking about John is wrong. He's not a saint. He's not a sinner. You're wrong. <laughs> You're just wrong. Either Let's way. start <laughs> there. You're wrong. Doesn't it seem random to you as well? Like this, the fact that yeah. he, they suddenly brought this word, the Jairus sinner saint, followed by this, like, what is the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where is this coming from? It's 10 years after his death. And now mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're talking about John is wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what's been floating around. This is one of my favorite sound bites from Gary. Here you go. Is it, well, tell me the truth about John. How do I think about John? There's so many stories about John. You know, was John right? Was he wrong? Was he, you know, uh, an alcoholic? Was he a sex monger? You know, was he a womanizer? You know, was he All a liar? Was he a cheat? Yep. Was he a thief? Yep, yep. Um, you know, what? we've heard all the stories. How do we think? Well, I, I honestly believe, and as we've looked to the Lord for the truth over the years, and I know we've never voiced this before, but I think now's the time for it. Um, How could be? I, I know that John really failed the Lord. Um, one thing that is a proof of that is John's dead. And there's no way that you can say John entered into the promises when he died, because he didn't. That wasn't the promise. The promise was resurrection life, which is fucking bizarre as well. Yes, yeah. That's a whole other thing that we'll get into, too, is John was supposed to live forever. Right. Um, uh, many of the leaders, I mean, definitely the prominent leaders of the church. I have also audio of Gary talking about how Marilyn was supposed to live forever. It's funny how the ones that are supposed to live forever always die. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uncanny. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, he's saying that he's saying that he failed. That John failed. That John failed. Otherwise, he wouldn't have died. Otherwise, he, he wouldn't have, have died. Entered into resurrection okay. life. Okay. Okay, but what was Ew. the failure? What was the failure, Gary, Scott? Get to it. Yeah, we need to know. What is it? What is the failure? Um, and Gary will luckily he'll tell us. Yeah. I think there's one really simple answer. I think that John, in his relationship with Marilyn, was disobedient. I don't. I do not believe that John ever gave himself to Marilyn according to the word of what the relationship was to be. So barfy. It's so funny to me because we cut this part out because it's just a long ramble, but he like says originally, he's like, he's like, Marilyn and I really waited on the Lord about this after John died. Why did he die? Why was he such a failure? We stayed up late nights talking about it. Talking in front of the fireplace. And together late nights, you know, they got together and their decision was that, like, I can just see Marilyn right now just just being like, I know why he failed, because he wasn't loyal to me. Because he wasn't, he didn't submit himself to me. Yeah, she doesn't even say loyal. She's just like, it's there. He's saying, sorry, that it, 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 disobedient, right? Yes, he wasn't obedient to, to, to the relationship. And it's almost like a warning to Gary and in, like, others. Like, that's why yeah. he died, because he wasn't obedient to Marilyn. And it's also putting her in this position, this she's elevated. Being lifted up. She's she's rising up to the lamp of Israel status, folks. Like I were they calling her that yet? I don't think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that's something we're still looking into. But it is also like, okay, then y'all need to be obedient to Marilyn. Yes. It's very interesting. It just shows that like that's there's the excuse. But Gary goes on to say, like, don't worry, John is 
still an important figure just because he's a sex monger, a cheat, a liar, a con man, a you know, drunkard, like all of this stuff, just because even if those even if that's, even if that's true, true, he's still the man of God. And why is he the man of God? He goes on to explain for us here in this soundbite. Either a man is a man of God or he's not a man of God. The man of God is created by a gift and a calling of God. And the gift and calling is without repentance. So in one fell swoop, he's elevated Marilyn to this godlike status. And he has given carte blanche to themselves and the other leaders to do whatever they want. And it's fine because the gift and the calling is without repentance. Right. And that gift and that calling is is intact. Mm-hmm. It's it doesn't matter what he did with his life, what happened, the fact that he failed or didn't fail. It was the gift and the calling, which is the foundation of the empire that they inherited. They know that John, you can't discard John. He is the prophet. He's the reason most of the people in the audience are sitting there and still sitting there. And to I, that day. I think that's the only reason that Gary, you know, he's kind of diming John out like he's yeah. he's talking pretty derogatorily about John. Mm-hmm. In this way, but it's like he's doing it in a way that he's making it clear that, he, in my opinion, he doesn't he doesn't think much of him. But he's also like making sure he appeases the congregants who are only still there because of John. Yes, exactly. It's it's again like a, a manipulation. He's like planting those yeah. seeds of you know, well, I'm actually better. Right. Marilyn is better than that guy. Right, and that's and. I mean, that's that's exactly the thing is like he's he's trying to give himself and her really the the stage like like mm-hmm. whether John was the apostle, whether he was um, called, whether he was a sex monger, any of that stuff kind of doesn't matter at this point, because now Marilyn is mm-hmm. this is the thing that we need to be loyal to. She's that special thing. And I'm obviously. And, but and doesn't it seem to you that he he's yeah. kind of the, like throwing John under the bus, he, but in a subtle enough way to where he won't offend the people. Yeah. That and really... if you listen to the whole tape, he actually goes a little harder too. Yeah. not like in any soundbite that sounds really great. But he does talk about he's like, well, John was my spiritual father, but, you know, he's also a failure in flesh and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And he makes jokes about himself and how he's like, well, you know, all of my failures are actually the reason I'm such a great leader and I can bring this word. And, and that comes back around to that gift and the calling. So it's like kind of doing double dip where it's like, okay, yeah, you found all this bad shit on John. Doesn't change the fact that he was the apostle. Mm -hmm. And the same with me, you find something bad with me. Doesn't change the fact that I don't have the calling. That's right. Because the gift and the calling is the thing. And we all know that John's gift and his calling was true. It's a real thing. He, he, to be a Christian. (laughs) Good segue. Good segue. To be a Christian is Inarguably, his his manifesto is his manifesto. His like the foundation of the churches that mm-hmm. he established. It is the thing that the Living Word to this day, even after it has crumbled, is the most proud of. Yeah. Um. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna get into this right after this break because I honestly I need a little break. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> We are now going to get into to be a Christian, to be a Christian. What is to be a Christian? What is As that? As I understand Christ. <laughs> this was the tenet. Is that the proper word? Like the tenet of John Robert Stevens, like the Living Word Fellowship. Yes. This is his like pièce de résistance. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> this is the thing that he, not only did John 
talk about this as like this thing that came to him when he was young and he wrote it out and like it was the thing that started his whole walk with God. But today, and while we were coming up in the living word, it was the thing that was heralded by the church. It was the pamphlet was at the churches, you know, in mass for people to take if they were new yeah. to the... If they were new. And they, when we say newcomers, it's like they'd come once and be like, yeah. oh, I'm out. No exactly. thanks. But this was what they would get. Yeah, this they would get this little... The foundation. Exactly. The foundation and the belief and all of that stuff. And it was written by John. It's all over the websites. Um, let's take a look at... I'm going to show you a little bit of what's on the website. So, for example, today there still is a John Robert Stevens... Um, uh, legacy legacy site that has his stories, his teachings, his belief, the biography, boop de boop de boop. And there's a whole page dedicated to the teachings of John Robert Stevens and to be a Christian where the full text is laid out along with this nifty little video that I don't think I was involved with, but it was no, made this around. this was like, um, I remember them playing this. I think it was at the first amphitheater show in Shiloh in like 1990. I don't think so. The way it, that I'm looking. Just it, the this, audio. Just, just the, the audio. audio. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. And it was like, you know, they dimmed the lights of the amphitheater and it was this moment yes. where John Stevens to this fucking music, like all theatrics say, you know, speaking to be a Christian. And yeah. it was like pretty moving. Yeah. And I will say, I will say I went through a lot of work to find the original recording without the music. And, and I'm like, why would I want to play that when we could play the one that was dramatic oh, with oh. the music? But what's on the website is that 1990 assembly with the music and yeah. everything. And then this like 2004 style graphics and video at the but age of 14. <laughs> John Robert Stevens. We don't have to watch the whole thing, right? Wrote, I think we do. <laughs> oh my God, To be on. a Christian. It's so long. What does it mean to be a Christian, Charity? Are you, are, do I see your eyes welling up, Scott? Are so to be a Christian, as I understand Christ, is the acceptance of the absolute authority of Jesus in all my life. Life, life, it means that in everything I am and do, <laughs> do, do when do. I eat and drink, when I buy and sell, when buy I work sell. and play, when I read when and I think, cheat on my wife, <laughs> when I travel through time, Jesus as my master. It means that I enthrone him as king, my king, affections, king, king. <laughs> that I subject my friendships and my dominion, silver and gold mines, <laughs> that I conduct my business and my intellectual and social life under his inspection and direction. And direction. This it video. Means that my ruling passion, the passion of the It's like a passion across the screen. This is for our audio friends. Sovereignty of Jesus. All these reverent clips of John. Yeah. I just, I'm just sure we're playing this thing through, even if you don't have to hear every word that comes out of it, we're playing it through because it was so freaking significant. Yeah. It's four minutes long. 
And maybe we won't make it all the way through. I can't do it. I don't. <laughs> I'm just looking at his face. It's just yeah. really upsetting. I t- the, the video, it's just so, like, it's such a good example of how worshipful everyone yes. was of John Stevens. Yes. They made him a god and the guru. And it's yeah. like, why are you worshiping a person? Isn't yes. the whole point? If you're a Christian, is to worship God the no, Father. I mean, John like, was this, he was the man. He was the man of God. He was, yeah, like you're saying, like he was the center of this whole thing. He was the the man, the myth, the legend. He was a legacy. It was like important. Without John, there is no living word, church. There is no living word on this planet. Like that he was yeah. the apostle. And, you know, I'm reminded of a, of a, of a quote from, the Sandlot, the 1990s <laughs> kids movie, where they're talking about Babe Ruth, and, and and the kid says with reverence, he goes, he was less than a god, but more than a man. And you know, John was like that, but a little closer to God. A little you know? closer to God, yeah. <laughs> and so this is like him reading this thing that he said was his calling. This was part of his calling. He had had a vision that had said something, you know, about how he was going to preach to the masses, every language all across the world, all this stuff. And then he, after that vision, he, he says he wrote this to be a Christian. And he, it was this moving thing that we were all supposed to be moved by. And I'm actually not even sure if anybody was moved by this. I mean, I'll be honest. Like I really was growing up in this. I was moved by this and I would read it and be like, Oh, it's so poetic. And yes, like that's how I want to be. And especially when it's said to this music, like, I'm a sucker for that stuff. <laughs> and you're not a Christian now. I mean, come on. Well, and this, what makes me so angry about it now is that, Knowing what I know about John now, oh, it's just like all uh, uh, just the lies mm-hmm. and the allowance of people to worship him and like believe. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil <laughs> the well, ending here, but yeah, so let's, let's just show you a couple more places where they make a big deal of it on yeah. the website. It's very quick. The life of John Robert Stevens. This is where it says. It has a lot of it, but it says in here that later in 1933, Stevens had an extra, another or extraordinary meeting with the Lord during an all night session of prayer. He received the Holy Spirit and saw himself in a vision that lasted several hours, speaking to many people in many languages and many nations. This um, in this experience, the Lord commissioned and anointed him to the ministry of the word. Shortly after this. Stevens wrote out his deep commitment to Christ in to be a Christian. He was 14 years old. Okay. Part of the lore, they got it other places too. Here's Living Word Publications, the website where you can buy Living Word audio and video. It has an audio player that doesn't work anymore, um, but it says at the very top, it's to be a Christian is written out, but it says in 1933 when he was 14, John Robert Stevens wrote out his deep commitment to Christ in to be a Christian. Okay, they're all, you know, it's it's central. So we talked about the pamphlet. Mm-hmm. Um, what we did here is we looked at the pamphlet and they have the references. It looks like it's copyrighted 1959 and they're referencing that copyright was in to every man that asketh. And if we pop that open to the to be a to be a disciple is what it was disciple. actually yeah. um written as in here, which just the text is exactly the same, except it says, I think it's like in the index, look in the index, the text is exactly the same, but instead of it saying to be a Christian, it says to be a disciple. Um, Go to the, here, go to the index. 
That's the table of content. Okay, so, so <laughs> sorry, one. To be just always yeah. page one, like flipping through page We one. don't understand how books work these days. I'm used to Google Hey, listen, it. we grew up in a cult. Like, we yeah. don't understand So the books. first line is a little bit different. Read to be really a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, as I understand Christ, means the acceptance of the absolute authority of Jesus. Blah, blah, blah. My so the rest is the same, but it's just same. a little bit there that's different. Um, and then it's also, rev- there's this uh, excerpt from uh, this week, being a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And it's quoted in here, but we also have the this, this week, week volume, volume three bound yeah. volume where we found John talking about beautiful. And basically the important thing to take away from here is he says several, several years ago, I wrote out my idea of what I thought it meant for us to enter into being a servant of Jesus Christ. And I think that to be a Christian is the best covenant I have taken for myself. But he says and, multiple times that he wrote it. Yeah. He says that he wrote it very clearly in here. Um, and, but just for due diligence, we went back and found the audio or at least one of the audios, because again, the website all says 1933, which means they must be getting that information from somewhere else. Because in this audio that we found, he says it was 1940 or 1939, but it just means that there's probably multiple times out there that he's making, saying this same thing. So here's, here's that, here's that um, audio clip. Do you remember? And to every man that asketh, this to be a Christian is based on that. This goes back to about 1940, I think, 39 or 40, when I read an article that started me to make this. I wrote this because I was quite sick of the old Crusader Covenant it was used in one of the Pentecostal youth groups. And I thought there's something better, more positive, that can show our relationship to the Lord. And this idea, being the bondservant of the Lord, became so real to me, so I wrote this based upon that. It was, it was something that was very real to my heart at that time. And I think it's been real to my heart ever since. Okay, so there he says it, he wrote it, you know, after he said he, this weird thing in there, he says like, I read an article and then it inspired me to... To make this. To make this. I wrote this. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say that he wrote, wrote to be a Christian. The reason we're stepping you through this and not just flippantly saying, oh, John, you saw, the reason we are finding the audio clips and the repeated references yeah. in printed material over the years is because there have been claims recently um, since Shalom's letters that John plagiarized to be a Christian. Right. And I think it's just... We're doing our due diligence here to ensure that John doesn't say, and he gets close in that audio clip. He says, I read this article and it kind of inspired me to write this thing. But he mm-hmm. does say that he wrote it, yeah. which is fine. But we don't, I, I, want, it, I want it to be irrefutable. Mm-hmm. If we're going to do this, it needs to be irrefutable that, that John plagiarized it. And there's a um, document floating around amongst the survivors um, that breaks down John Robert Stevens to be a Christian and compares it to George Heron call of the cross. Um, which I also looked up to ensure, you know, again, this is all about like verifying everything that's going on here. Um, found a scan of the book on, on, uh, on, you know, on the internet where it's like scans of the actual pages of call of the cross went through 
And if you look at the the this comparison that's out there, the breakdown, uh, the person who put this together, which I actually don't know who put this together, I and know. I haven't been able to find out, which is fine. Um, just a former member. It's just a former member. Yeah, sent it along. Uh, this first sentence, to be a Christian, this is from George Heron. And so you're seeing here, to be a Christian according to Christ means, first and always, the unreserved surrender of self to him as master for him to do with as he wills. Then they say that that is similar to the first paragraph of to be a Christian, which starts to be a Christian as I understand Christ, not according to Christ. It's very similar, but not verbatim. Very similar. You can see how you could almost go back to that audio clip that we found where he says, I read this article and it inspired me. And then I wrote this. George Heron's call the cross is not word for word the same. It is similar. And you could say, oh, he was inspired, which is a form of bullshittery. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can see that like it's a, but it's not, I don't know. In my book, it's not plagiarism. Plagiarism to me is like using the same, the same, the same exact phrases and words. And I, so I like painstakingly went through to try and find where maybe he did use the same words. And all I found were like these little phrases to be a Christian, but then like my master, these are generic things. No more my own man, but Christ and man. This is your comparison with the George Heron text and the JRS text. Yes, exactly. So, so I, I like, again, I like went through this scan to try and find it. I'm not seeing plagiarism in this, in this, in dun, dun, dun. this. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept digging and, um, I found something just Oh my gosh. So I'm surprised I even found it. Honestly, I found this, I want to say like a pamphlet or possibly it was a work. Maybe it's a book. I guess it was a bound book, um, published by a Reverend George W. Plack, the university of Florida insignia on it. It's called cut gems. Now I'm going to pop this thing open. It's a Google book scan. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the cover of it. So Google Books is like this arm of Google where they um, they uh, they find books at universities, anything that they can they can pull in, like public domain kind of thing. Um, And they just scan every single page of it. Just boom. And they pop it on the Internet. So you can look at this scan. So you can see the University of Florida Library. There's this guy, Reverend Reese W. Edwards. Oh, that's a memorial. Sorry. the publishers are on the front page here. George W. Plack, publisher, Reverend George W. Plack of New York, department editors, volume one. And this is, so I think what Cut Gems is, is like a, um, it's like a- They're like excerpts. Excerpts and collections of, right. of works um, oriented in the Christian, you faith. know, faith world, whatever. And these excerpts on the front here says are from 1895 to 1896. And if we go down, 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 applied Christianity. So it's this little, what is a Christian section? And in it, we find to be a Christian, as I understand Christ 
means the acceptance of the absolute authority of Jesus in all my life. It means that in everything that I am and do, when I eat and drink, when I buy and sell, when I work and play, when I read and think word for fucking word. The whole way through. The whole way through, all the way to the end, his gospel, the textbook and authority by which I stand or fall. Every word. Every word all the way through. Written by somebody else. Written by somebody else. Um, because let's reemphasize, this was published in 1890, Yes, so whatever. that's what the dates on the front say, 1895, 1896. But just to, just to really verify that somebody didn't make a mistake in this publication, I looked this thing up and I found, um, I looked up that this Pollock guy. Um, George Plack, you mean? George Plack, yeah. yeah, not Pollock, sorry. George Plack, looked him up, looked up Cut Gems, Trying to find it. And I found this catalog, um, which is the uh, Library of Congress published, published, uh, published a list of all the copyrights mm -hmm. for a given year and cut gems, April 1897 by Reverend George W. Plack. So this was assembled, published 1897. John Robert Stevens was not alive. No, he was. He was not alive <laughs> to have written this. Right. Right. 14 or otherwise. What year was John born? Do we know? Uh, it says on, let's look at it. Let's do that right here, right now. Let's go to the John Robert legacy, Stephen, website. legacy website. 1919. John, 1919. Okay. So a good 20 years before, 22 years before John was born, this work was published. Now the, it's, I, I'm, I don't know what else to say from this. I mean, it speaks <laughs> it's for just, itself. It speaks for itself. It's not an interpretation. It is verbatim. It is verbatim. It is, John did not write this. No. And he says, as you illustrated earlier, time and time again, I wrote this. I wrote this. I read an article that inspired me to make this. I wrote this. Right. He didn't. There's no questioning this that is, he was claiming yeah. to have written something that he stole. Yeah. He absolutely stole this. Um, I just, no question at this point, I think the only further due diligence that we're hoping to do from this, which will be, which will take some time, is to find out who did write this. Mm -hmm. It does, there is no credit in this. Uh, the Cut Gems. In the Cut yeah. Gems. There's no credit other than to say that it came from an issue of Kingdom. Which could be a periodical. Which could be a periodical, a, book, a work know. of some sort. We can't. But the irrefutable that. evidence is that this predates John Stevens' yeah. the, birth. Yes. The Library of Congress has it down as a copyright in 1897. Yeah. I, I just, and you know, he's not, there's no question to me. I just, at any, at any rate, at this point to think that John Robert Stevens came up with this by a divine revelation from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And this is the foundation of his entire it's ministry. The, the cornerstone. Yeah. It's, you I'm sorry. He's a liar and a con man. Yeah. Like that's, that's the only, the only thing I can, I can come conclusion. I can come to with this. And if anybody has anything to show different, how can they, I mean, honestly with this, like all the other stuff we mentioned, sure. Maybe you can come yeah. up with some kind of argument, but again, this is yeah. irrefutable evidence. And that's, I think, so we're, we're, we're ending with this one. This is like the big, the mm -hmm. big punch, but 
this whole episode shows a pattern, yes, right? Yes, it does. It's, it's a long con. Again, he's just playing the long game. It, he, I, I mentioned on our break to Scott, I was like, you remember in, in your interview with me and you asked me, do you think these people like knew what they were doing that was all calculated? And I was like, well, I, I don't really know, blah, blah, blah. Now, like the more research we do, the more we get into this, I'm like, oh, absolutely. It was a complete con. Mm-hmm. Everything they did was calculated to serve their own purposes, their own agenda. They played us all. Yep, they did. And it was just flat lies. Yeah. Nothing accidental about it. Just very clear cons, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. Just like you're saying. The only thing, and this is the big surprise I have for you, Charity, is that I haven't shared. That undercuts everything that I've said here. John did write this because he was a time traveler. (laughs) Well played, my friend. (laughs) That's right. I forgot. He could travel. He slipped through those wormholes. He slipped through a lot of holes. Like, again, I can't stop with the hole references. <laughs> why uh, should I? Uh, why should we? Wow. Wow. So you, I mean, what do you think? Like, has this like. Um... It I mean, there's like a certain level. I think, you know, you as we've been talking about those past few days, certain level of like. It's like a it's like a joy in a way of finding this because yeah. it, it's validating. Yes. It's that feeling you have like this is all lies, but people could argue with you. They would mm-hmm. and they, they would, do. And they, and do. they do. They say, no, it was a real revelation. I felt real things. And you know, I'm not saying that your feelings weren't real. hundred percent. You have real feelings. Mm-hmm. But they came from a man who knew he was deceiving you. Right. And that just puts an asterisk on those feelings. It does. Absolutely. There's no purity yeah. in that. There's no integrity in that. Like, how do you trust anything that came out of the mouth of a man who could like unhesitatingly mm-hmm. claim something that wasn't his own? Yeah. I did this. Right. And, and such a foundation of his teaching too, to base his entire, his entire, uh, movement on it. Mm-hmm. And going back to his whole time travel story, like I was projected seven years into the future. And then fast forward 1993, when this woman comes forward and tells Gary and Marilyn, like and he Gary was with Marilyn me on the that day, yeah. they repeat the cycle. And, and it's like, when I hear that it was revealed that he was with this other woman on that day that he allegedly had this time travel experience. And you hear the audio that you played of him telling this very detailed account of his like trip through time. It's like, what kind of a sociopath do you have to be to just like lie, bold face Mm -hmm. lie. And it doesn't, it sounds like, like so believable. I mean, besides the fact that he's talking about time travel, but the way he says it, it's like, he's Mm -hmm. convinced that this is what happened. Yeah. Well, do you know when people are just expert liars? You, yes. Some people are, I'm like, I'm a terrible liar. Like, you'll know if I'm lying to you, which I just so bad at it. I don't even try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like the fact that he was so, it was so easy for him, I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. And it, and that's exactly the way it plays. Yeah. Is it, it was easy for him. Like he, like, did he think about it before he got up on stage? Like, I'm going to tell him that I traveled through time. Probably. God, if I thought of that before I went up on stage, I'm like, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, he's stupid. Like, <laughs> but, <if> he's like, <laughs> like, but like, yeah, it's such a bold face lie. Yeah. It's so, so out there. And maybe that's part of the thinking is that like, just make it crazy. And people will either have to assume that I'm lying 
or like they'll have to call me out for lying mm. or they'll have to believe me. And that's like for so many, it's like, it's like our, our source who was talking about this said that so many people at that time were in their early twenties and they just really wanted to believe. Yeah. They impressionable. Really, and yeah. They wanted to believe that this man had a word from God. They had mm. already bought into it. Yeah. And so now if he's going to come up here and say this wild thing, you, you're kind of confronted with that. like, And I think he knew that. I think he yeah. knew that they were bought in and he could kind of say whatever he wanted and they'd believe it because he was the apostle. Mm-hmm. He was riding that wave of apostleship, baby. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he definitely was. Well, in, in, the, in the wake of this, um, to be a Christian thing, I think, and I know this might be in vain. It's worth a try. It's worth a try. I really think that the the people who are running the living word publications who are managing that site, who are sending out the tapes, who are, uh, are in charge of the archive, John Robert Stevens archive, um, and managing his legacy. And of course the, the living word church in North Hills, I think to be a Christian should be removed from the websites. Yeah. I think you need to take that down. It's plagiarized. It's, it's plagiarized. It was not his words. It was not something that he wrote. It was not something that he came up with. You need to stop taking credit for that yeah. and stop making it a, a tent pole of what is left of your religion. Mm-hmm. Um, a redaction letter, an apology, and let the copyright that you have in here lapse or renounce it. Mm-hmm. And and I would say further, your it's it's your responsibility now to find the true author. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do any of this, but it is your responsibility. After taking advantage of this for so long, it's your responsibility to find that author in a, in a in a honest way, and then we will of course vet that. But you're not going to do it, so I'll do yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> if you had integrity, you would do it, but we know you don't. Yeah. So, um, it's just wrong to continue to continue saying that this man wrote this and you, yeah. and you need to make it clear if you're going to do all, if you're going to take it down, you need to make it clear, like took advantage of this for years and we were duped by this man. Yeah. It was, it was wrong and a lie. Yeah. And I, I was referring to them as not having integrity. Yes, yeah, not, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's just par for the course with this organization as they have never had any integrity. Mm-hmm. You, you want to know the true cornerstone of the living word fellowship, but it was not to be a Christian. It was like, to be a plagiarizer. To, to, be, to be a con artist. Yeah. Completely. I mean, I am so glad you found that because it's too. been rumored. I think we all, and I, I told you, and I wish I could remember that something else that I had read mm-hmm. in one of his sermons in one of these bound volumes, it was from God's viewpoint. And I remember years later, like reading something that was almost verbatim in another book and I wish I could remember where I've tried to find it, but yeah. it was also, it wasn't his work. Yeah. So I wonder how much of that. Right. And that's what I think. There are other claims out there, there of are. plagiarism. And I think it's just the effort of finding and comparing and connecting the origin, the time, and you know, the same thing here, but like with the other works that those, if those claims are out there and like, this just shows he's done it once yeah. with such a foundational teaching in the, in the, in the living word. Um, it would be so easy for him to have yeah, done why it. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he have done it again? So we, if those claims are out there, we're looking for stuff. And yeah. if you know Let anything, know. you know, I mean, think one of the big ones that I actually know is like floating around out there is I need the pamphlet 
um, the Feast of Tabernacles that was published in the early 60s, I think. Because people have alleged that that was plagiarized. Yeah. yeah. But it's, again, it's just a... Got to find it. Yeah, just got to find it and see if see if that's true. I think this is really important, too, because there there is a split. There's always been a, been a, a split. Multiple splits. Multiple splits yeah. in the history of the Living Word Fellowship. There is a divide between... So there are a lot of us, most of us, have left the fellowship. It's a shadow of what it once was, but there are a couple of different factions, very, very small. Mm -hmm. One that's like, well, maybe Gary and Marilyn sucked, but John Stevens, John Stevens was still the prophet. He was still the apostle. Mm -hmm. And I still believe in his word. Mm -hmm. His word was bigger than his. Or his his word was very Christian. It was very in line. It was on the forefront of these things. And Mm -hmm. like, you might think that about some of these things, but I just think the time travel and the death prayers are and again, I'm not a Christian, so I get, I can't speak for Christians. But those of you that are Christians out there, you decide. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think uh, I think if you haven't realized that you're in a cult, now might be the time to say it out loud. <laughs> Oops. Oops, I'm in a cult. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Send us your emails at the uh, address in the show notes below. We'd love to hear from you. Take it easy and don't join a cult.